Tov. Um, today's daf is uh, daf ayin, 70. I mean, it's actually tomorrow's daf. We're top ahead, but that's the daf we're doing today. We'll be all back to normal after Tisha B'Av. Um, and we pick up with the very first line of daf ayin. Now, what we had just done was um, was uh, ha- focused on the position of Rabbi Yochanan uh, that uh, that after something is stolen away from the owners, the owner cannot sanctify it because of this idea of beta ish, vigunavni beta ish. If there's no kevo, then it's also kiyakish espeso. You can't sanctify it. And the Gemara there took that one step further and understood that basically what Rabbi Yochanan is telling us is a general principle that in order to exercise your rights and powers as owner, it's not enough that you technically own it. It has to be something under your control. Um, and therefore, you can't be makdish it. Presumably, it would be obvious that you couldn't sell it um, or you couldn't gift it. The Gemara also extended it to questions about redeeming and about being maskier and so on. But that's like the real, that's the, the core principle that the Gemara has been working on. And now the Gemara deals with an implication of this and introduces something that we really would have been totally unaware of, that even existed as a halachic instrument. So let's take a look. I'm not really totally unaware of, but okay. So here's where the Gemara really, really like, gets into it. Amar Nahadai. So Nahadai says, um, you know, the, uh, the yeshiva Nahadai, that lo kasvinen orchitsa amatatali. We do not write an orchitsa, some have that with a dalit, a drachta, we'll see it in some Rishonim, orchitsa or a drachta, which is basically a power of attorney. Um, now, um, you know, I was a little exaggerated when I said otherwise we wouldn't know, because every now and then when the Gemara has a certain question about how do you explain this case, the Gemara says, bibab biharsha, oh, the person had a power of attorney. Okay, there it uses the phrase harsha'ah, like laharshot, which I guess means to give permission to authorize. Um, here it's a, a word of, uh, here if you look, Rashi says, orchasa harsha'ah. Okay, so, but this is an Aramaic word, um, and um, I forget exactly what the origin of this word is, but anyway, uh, but this is the idea of giving a power of attorney. This Gemara is, um, is, so although we are aware elsewhere of this power of attorney, the Gemara, this Gemara is unique in that it actually tries to get at what, how does that work halachically? How do you halachically transfer? And it's different than agency. I can make somebody an agent to buy something for me, to sell something for me, okay? But a power of attorney is a right to sue somebody in court, to bring a case to court. That's not just to do a certain transaction on my behalf. That's a right to represent my interests and make decisions that will be binding for me, okay? I mean, maybe again, you could say we sort of have some degree of that by the institution of apotropis, but nevertheless, it's in, this is, uh, this is, you know, it, it raises the question, what are the mechanisms of this? And this is the Gemara that starts, that gets at that question. So Nardai says, we do not write this uh, power of attorney on metaltoli, on um, shadow, meaning if it's on land, you would write it. Basically, I have, go, I, you know, I, I'm debating Michael for a plot of land. He's on it. I say, it's my plot of land or whatever. I'm going to go ahead and make David give him my power of attorney. I'm not going to be around. I think he's a good, he's a good uh, you know, uh, litigator anyway, and he's going to represent me and fight with Michael. That I could do. But if Michael has in his house my, uh, an iPhone that I think is mine, you use the iPhone example, it's expensive and powerful. If he has an iPhone that I think is mine, okay, then I cannot make David my power of attorney. Why not? So this is what Gemara is going to tell you. Amravashi, Lamemer, my timer. What's the reason for this? 
If something is stolen and the owner did not have not given up hope, neither can sanctify one because it's not his and one because it's not in his rishus. So what does that have to do with power of attorney? So what this Gemara is assuming is a couple of things. Number one, power of attorney means how can David take suit, bring Michael to court? Michael say, what are you doing bringing me to court? You can't bring a suit. You don't have any standing, right? That's the idea we have in secular court, right? It's not your issue. If I owe money, it's to Dove, whatever. It's not your issue. Ah, so the way power of attorney works is I say, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to transfer ownership of that iPhone or of that piece of land to David. Okay, now David can sue Michael. It's his piece of land. Okay, now the question is, can he take it from himself? Are there some implicit or explicit stipulations that's going to mean that I'm going to get it back? We'll worry about that in a minute. But the first way it works is that I transfer ownership to him, and therefore he's really representing his interests, not mine. As Michael obviously points out, that's not going to fully work because I'm going to want to get it back. But okay. Now, the question is, can I do that? Well, if it's land, then even if he's sitting on it, it's in my rishus because nobody really takes land away. Land is always there. So the concept of ano so doesn't apply by land. But if it's chattel, if it's like my iPhone, and Michael's holding onto it, and particularly, it's an interesting question at what stage is it ano so If like Michael is denying it, right, to, oh, it's not yours, it's mine, right, then, then from my perspective, his perspective it is, from my perspective, he's stealing it. So if he's stealing it, I can't give it over to David. It's Gezel, right? He's holding on to it against my will. I don't have access to it, right? So I shouldn't be able to do it. There could be other scenarios. There could be a scenario that says, I know it's yours, but I'm holding on to it as collateral for a $1,000 loan, and I'm not giving it back to you until you pay my loan, and I'm denying the loan, right? In that case, is it really Gezel? He's admitting it's mine, but he's not prepared to give it back to me. Okay. But I'm, I'm denying that. I'm saying it's, you know, so in that case, actually, right, in that case, actually, I'm claiming it's Gezel. So in one way or another, right, the, you know, you understand that even though I, you know, that I want, if I, my, my transferring ownership in the Harsha is the claim that it's mine. For some reason, he's not giving it back to me, right? So is there an element there of Gezel going on? If he's so, um, and, or some degree of holding it against my desire, which makes it Enobir Shuso. And because of that, he says it's not possible to write a power of attorney on Metaltalim. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Let's take a look. Uh, okay. Eager um, Ami, others say, Ami Nardai, that Nardai says, Locus in Urchasa Metaltalim the Kafre. No, no, no. The only thing you can't do is write a power of attorney on Metaltalim that he's denying. So if the two scenarios I gave, one he says, yes, I admit it's yours, but I'm not giving it back to you until you pay my, the loan, and I deny that I owe the loan. That's not Kafre. He's admitting it's mine. The other scenario, he says, you're lying. It's not, and then I would be able to write a harsha. But if he's saying it's not your iPhone, you're lying, I wouldn't. What's the difference? So the says, time of the Kafre, the Merci Kishikra. The reason is because he's denying it, because it looks like a lie. Meaning, here we are, Michael's saying it's my iPhone, and I'm saying it's mine. It's in Michael's pocket, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to write a star that says, I'm giving my iPhone in Michael's pocket to David. Like, that's a joke. People say, how could you write a star that you're giving your iPhone to, to, to David? It's Michael says it's his, and it's in his pocket, right? So that looks absurd. You know, it might be true. For all we know, it is my iPhone. But it looks like a lie. So we will refuse
choose to recognize such a document, okay, certainly in court, all right, but if he admits it's mine, he's just refusing to give it back to me for some other claim, then I would not everybody concedes that it's mine, okay, now, the problem that the Rishonim asked, now the question that the Rishonim immediately jumped to is, but what about what you just said, that there's a problem of Rabbi Yochanan's principle, that if it's not under your control, you can't, uh, you know, grant, grant it to someone else. And presumably that was even when Michael admitted it was mine but was refusing to give it to me. It was Eino Birishuso. So how in that case can I go ahead and give it to somebody else? Now you could say maybe the Gemara now is willing to rethink what defines Eino Birishuso, but it doesn't say that. It says, you know, it's, it, it's, it's only, it's saying like the only real difference is whether it is Merci Kishikra. Fundamentally, let me even reframe it. If we weren't concerned for Merci Kishikra, I'd be able to write it to David even though Michael's denying that it's mine. That's clearly Eino Birishuso. So the Rishon say what happened to that principle of Rabbi Yochanan and the basic answer is that um, you know there's like long Rishonim on this this Tosu is only giving you a tip of the iceberg but the short answer is that you're right it really doesn't work halachically it's really like a Takana de Rabbanan okay and that you really shouldn't be able to transfer it because it's Eino Shuso, but we allow it because we recognize the legal system sort of needs this type of a mechanism now it gets a little bit better in the next section of the Gemara because the next section of the Gemara shows that I'm not just transferring it to David I'm also making David my shaliach and okay but we haven't said that yet and therefore, here's, let, let's read it and then we'll go back and we'll figure it out. Okay, but what the Gemara has not told us is, how does this solve the Rabbi Yochanan problem? Let's keep on reading. So the Gemara says like this. And also says, um, If you have a, uh, a uh, what do you call it, a uh, power of attorney that's not written in the document, that I say to David, I'm assigning you my power of attorney, go, bring Michael to court Zildon, go bring him to court and when you take, extract the property you can keep it like you're doing it on your behalf I don't literally say you keep it but do it on your own behalf that makes you a you know a baldvarim that makes you a litigant right? that makes you have standing that you're allowed to bring him to court as I say take it out for your own sake but then do okay? anywhere give it back to me yeah well we're going to get to that that's the obvious question okay so if it doesn't have that written it's worthless my time or why? Because Michael can say, therefore, to David, you're not my, uh, you have no, you know, you, you're not my litigant. You know, you have, you, you, what's your claim against me? Yeah, you, you know, it's not your interest, it's not your case. Get out of here. So the only thing that gives David standing is a certain degree of transferring ownership and telling David, do it on your own behalf. Now, of course, you realize if I had really fully transferred ownership to David, I wouldn't have to write, do it on your own behalf. But David would just be dealing with his own court case and David would never have to give anything back to me either right so obviously we're sort of doing a balancing act here some degree I've, I've given him ownership and I framed it that he's doing it for his own sake which allows him to bring Michael to court but obviously I'm not fully giving him ownership okay so let's keep on reading Let me just... you, no, let's read let's get the whole picture down there 
Amar Bay, Abay says, because of Bay, the Mechzo Lishlisha now, here, if, if Abay says, if you write in the Harsha'ah, that you say, David, I am actually letting you keep, and, you know, pocket, you sue Michael, sort of like, you know, you know when, you, when you have a personal injury lawsuit, attorneys, but they do it on contingency, right? They don't take a fee. So I basically say to Michael, Michael, I am authorizing you to bring, you know, uh, you know Michael, like, David, I'm authorizing you to bring Michael to court, and anything you're able to win out of that case, you get to keep a third. Okay? So in that case, um, he, Rabbi says, you don't need to write Zachi Lenafshach. You don't need this other stuff. Because then obviously you're a, you're, you're a party of interest, because you're going to keep a third of it. Okay? So if I say, so, uh, so, uh, so, because of the Lamechel, the Shishirvia, that you get half, a third, or a quarter, Migo de Mishtai Dina Palga, since you're able to bring Michael to court for your half, or whatever your portion is, Mishtai Dina Kula. So therefore you can bring him to court for the whole case because you're going to get at least half or third or whatever a portion of what you're going to win in court. Okay, so what Abai sort of says is if, if the Harshat really does give the, you know, the, the other person, uh, what's the name of the person who's given the power of attorney? The attorney, I guess. <laughs> anyway, give the grant, give, give that person really, does really give him ownership? Then you don't have to worry about the special language because then he, he really is a real owner. But that makes makes it clear that if you're not giving him you get real, you know, that real portion in it, we're playing some type of a game. We're framing him like, like it's his own interest, even though at the end of the day, he's not really going to pocket. Let's give him a proof is worth. Is that good? Yeah, that's, you're right. That would be a smart thing to do. Right, like just give it's him like a... Like the stock. You're right. It's a good point. Give him a dollar's worth. That should be the easiest way to solve it. I don't know. It's an excellent point. Like, why does it have to be such a large portion? You know, is there a certain point where it's like, you know, where you just say it's like, you know, it's like, it's like a farce, but that's a good point. Okay, so now the Gemara says, okay, so we got the idea that if you really give ownership, you understand why that person can, can sue, even partial ownership. We don't understand why you can give ownership because you got the Reb Yochanan problem. But what we really see is, is that we're playing a little bit of a game because it's, Abaye makes it clear that in most cases, David doesn't get to pocket anything. I mean, maybe I pay him a fee, but he doesn't get to pocket anything. And nevertheless, I frame it like he's going to do it for his own behalf, even though we know he's really not going to pocket it. So that helps explain why you aren't bothered by Rabbi Yochanan, because you're not really transferring ownership. Okay, but it doesn't exactly explain why it works. It's, again, some sort of a takana, some sort of a fiction that we are creating. And let's just read now the last piece. Um, now, Maimar says, okay, we've got to take this to its logical conclusion. If I write the star for David, I don't write half a third or a quarter. I just write to David, David, go ahead and sue Michael on your own behalf and I am, I don't know, you know, giving you authority, blah, blah, blah. So if David, after he sues Michael and wins the $1,000, says, okay, thank you, I'll keep that money. Okay, now we all understood, it was always like a little wink and a nod that he was going to give me the money back. Okay, but he didn't. He kept it. And the whole way the Harsha worked was through a fiction of giving him the, um, the property. So I can't take it away from David. So I better really trust the person who I'm giving power of attorney to. Okay, because if he decides to pocket it, then I am stuck within that fiction that I created. All right? Can they make a written agreement? Can you say to that person, you know, you're going to... 
you agree to give this to me? Right. So that would be right. So that yeah. So that would be the thing. Like you would want to write in the star, maybe write as a separate thing. That's true. Like you know, that would be the smart way to do it. You have the harsha, so it doesn't under so it doesn't undercut the fact that you're really not going to keep it because it claims you are. And then we got a separate agreement that I'll pull out later that will entitle me to get it back from you. Yeah, it's a good point. Like I don't know that there's a, t- a lot of literature in the Rishonim a figuring out this phenomenon in the Gemara and b dealing with the reality of it because this was like a real device that was used for like hundreds of years. Yeah. You know. I know. I understand. I understand. What do they do now? I I don't know. I you know I mean I assume I I don't know how like you know the problem is that contemporary Bate Din like ninety percent of the the judges not based on Choshen Mishpat it's based on like you know equity and Peshar and whatever and Dina de Malchusa so which raises interesting philosophical and religious questions but we're going to bracket that for now anyway um, but yes but you know but you're right so I don't know in the I've not really sort of studied the uh, history of the Harsha in the time of the Rishonim and maybe they did do things like that I'll talk a little bit about what Tosa says about his practice okay okay so now we've created the fiction either you could I could really give ownership to David but a partial ownership but it, you, it doesn't explain how that works within Rabbi Yochanan or we create this sort of like fiction which sort of explains we don't have to really work with Rabbi Yochanan I'm not really giving it to him but because I am making a fiction that I am then he can if he, if he holds the side sold on to it I'm stuck okay but now the Gemara ends with the following um, Ravashi Amar Ravashi says no if David pockets it you, I can still get my money back even the since I write for in the star, any judgment that you are like that comes from the court, I accept upon myself. So I write to David like again, this is like this walking this tightrope. On the one hand, the document says, David, you are authorized to go ahead to Michael for your own behalf. So for your own behalf, it's like and maybe it's implying you, it's, I'm giving you the, I'm letting you keep it. But then I say, and I willingly accept upon myself any judgment that is issued by the court. Well, why do I have to accept upon myself any judgment issued by the court if it's now your property? Right? So I'm sort of like both conceding that it's my property and I'm okay and I'm, I'm agreeing to any, any result and, but in order to give you standing, I'm making it like it's your property. So you're sort of, you know, trying to do both things. So that's what Amemar says. They, you cannot make it totally as if David is really the only person here who owns the property. We're not going to totally buy into that fiction because the document itself acknowledges that it's still my property and I'm accepting upon myself what the judgment of the court will be. So, I've only made David into my agent. I have not transferred him to property. And therefore, if David were to seize the property, I would be able to get it back. But Sikhah's enough doesn't work. So let's keep on reading. The Igad army, some say, which is the middle ground, right? It's like the Mechah Shlish and Revia. I made him a part owner. So therefore, it entitles him to part of it, but not the rest. That, that would be like the nice way to do it. And I like Michael's suggestion. Sure, make him a $1 owner in it. Okay? But, you know, give him ownership that entitles him, but then not enough that he can keep it to himself. So the Gemara says, Now, what would be the difference if you say he's just a shutter for he's a shaliach? Can he hold on to half? So if there's a shutuf, he can't hold on to all. But if I still have to make him a shutuf, he can hold on to whatever portion of it that I've given him. Okay? So the halachas and the Allah is shaliach shavia. He's a shaliach. Now, by the way, if you read the riff, 
the riff has, has the girsa ending with Lamitra's palga, and then the riff says, because of Rav Haigon, the Hilchasa de Shaliach Shavya, or something like that. He explicitly says that this last line was not in the Gemara, was a ruling of the Geonim, and it's just another example that very often the Hilchasas get transferred from the Geonic literature, often from the Hilchas Gedolos, into the Gemara. Okay? Because particularly the Hilchas Gedolos quotes the language of the Gemara in Aramaic, and then it adds the words of the Hilchasa in the exact same language. So a normal person reading it assumes it's all part of the same text. Okay, but here's the question. How can you say it's a shaliach and how could, so that solves the Reb Yochanan problem. He's only an agent. I don't really have to transfer money. But it doesn't solve the problem of, um, of how does David have standing? He's only an agent. It's not really his property. Why did Michael, why, why can this David soon bring Michael to court? David is not, it doesn't have standing. So what we've shown him basically say is what we've sort of been seeing developing is you're right. This is all something of a takana, a certain type of a fiction. Fundamentally, David is a shaliach. Let's face it. If I want David to be my power of attorney, I want him to represent my interests, I'm willing to accept the consequences if it works against me. That's the statement of Kol Demisani Eli. That's what I have to buy into, is I have to be willing to accept the consequences one way or the other way. But I certainly don't want him to be an owner, I just want him to represent me. The only problem is, is that he can't represent me without him having a stake in it. So fundamentally, he's a shaliach, but what the Rishonim say is, we add the idea that uh, it's like I'm not some part of it to you, you know, in order to give you standing, okay? And it, does that, it doesn't really work with Rabbi Yochanan, because with Rabbi Yochanan, it really can't be makna something to you. It's not under my control. But nevertheless, we, that's like the fiction that we create, that you're a little bit of an owner and you're doing it on your own behalf, and that is enough that allows you to actually bring Michael to court. But fundamentally, he's a shaliach, and therefore he's not entitled to keep the money to himself. And what we have to deal with is what we'll call the technical problem of not having standing, in which we create a fiction of ownership. And because it's really only a fiction of ownership, we really don't have to worry so much about Rabbi Yochanan. Yes. Not 100% understanding the problem of not having standing. So it's like, so if I say, go, Makadish is one for me. Yeah. So, you know, then you do it. So it's not like the guy who was giving his daughter over, you, you know, to you for me, saying, oh, no, you can't you no standing right so but that's because I agree to it right all of those cases are cases where um where the other, I mean, you, you know, either the other side agrees, like, um, like it's a mecher or a kiddushin or whatever, so if I refuse to say, no, I'm only going to accept, do a deal with the actual owner, I'm only going to do a kiddushin with the actual person, him or herself, then I'm entitled to. So if I'm accepting it, I'm accepting it. Or, it's true, it could work by a get, but a get is seen as fundamentally a one-sided transaction where the other side doesn't have a say. The difference is, is this case of litigants. Because litigants, I could say, I refuse, only, I refuse to deal with you and you have no right to sue me and to bring me to court and I refuse to go to court so what, what right do you have to say to the court you have to go ahead and you know and uh, what, what do you call subpoena you know Dove he's not showing up to court and I have a case you don't have a case against him it's not your case right so, so that's the point is, what? If, I mean I think it's an interesting question if somebody gave you a power of attorney and I willingly agreed for it would you need to go through these hoops in the Gemara possibly not okay but the real point here is the law of Baldwar MDD that it's a two-sided issue and the, if you can only force somebody else to court because your interests are at stake. If your own personal interests are not at stake, you don't have the power to force somebody to come to court. So that's really what this is about. Um, now, Tosa says that in his day, if you want to look at Tosvos, he says, we're not going to obviously do the whole Tosvos, but just to give you one line, Tosa says like this, Kosovra, the beginning of Tosvos, I'm a 
he says, Nowadays we do it even on chattels that has been denied, which is, now, of course, once the Gemara, so how does that work? The Gemara says we don't do it because it's Nechsi Kishikra. The time of Yadana, the Rav says, I don't know why. For Rabbeinu Tam Farish, the time of the Hilchus of Kalishna Basra to Sugi the Gemara, the Chavase Bishuas, Dayak, etc. So we have number one rule that it's not a Reb Yochanan problem. It's a problem of Mechzi Kishikra. It looks like a farce if you're transferring ownership when the guy is denying that, you know, it's your property to begin with. And then Tosus goes on to say, I, what I can't, well, find the keen line, but he basically says, and the Halacha is based on another Gemara that we're really not concerned with Mechzi Kishikra. Um, yeah, if you take a look, one, two, three, five lines down on the wide lines and the middle lines, he says, that we don't care that it looks like a farce. Well, because it, it's not that it is a sheker, it looks like a sheker. Okay? Because I'm saying that it is my property and I am entitled to give it to David. The other way to frame this, of course, is is that since the Gemara concludes Shliach Shavyei, the more you say fundamentally it's agency, and the Kenyan part is like a little technical thing, you know, it's a little bit of a fiction, that you don't have to worry so much about the Mechzi Keshikra, etc., because it's not fundamentally. It's not fundamentally the way it's working is by giving ownership. Fundamentally the way it's working is by assigning agency. But we're doing a little, a little fiction of ownership to allow David to do it. So the point is that that expands the opportunities of Harsha'ah, and then Harsha'ah was applied even to cases of Matatling the Kafi. Now, the next question that we've shown him ask, and what Tuzlis deals with is, can you make a Harsha'ah by a milve? Okay? Let's say there's no property to transfer. Michael borrowed a thousand dollars from me, at least that's what I claim, and he's denying it. Okay, can I make David my agent? There's nothing to transfer. There's no property at all to transfer. Right? So again, how much are, do you need this, like, this fiction of ownership, and how much is it fundamentally we're saying, we're going to let it work based on agency. Okay? And that's the question. And as you might imagine, in the time that he's shown him, the need for it expanded, especially when people are living at great distances and they're not there, etc. And, you know, in a lot of places they allow Rasha even for Milve, even when you really couldn't claim any idea of transferring of ownership. Okay, so this is a fascinating phenomenon of the of the Harsha. Um, whatever they said, Takanadurabanan, you know. So then the Takanadurabanan works by imagining this person as the owner, you know, enough to give him standing. Yes. I don't understand what the whole convention of workers is. Why you would want a power of attorney? Well, but it, but it, you only have a power of attorney if you own part of the property. How you, you're not giving a power. There's no such convention as workers' Well, first of all, what are you giving if you only if you have to give power? Well, first of all, that could be the guy's fee, right? So I mean, so you're right. But the conclusion of the Gemara is okay. But the conclu- right. But the conclusion. So you're right. According to those earlier. No, the Gemara says that there, you do need the the, the the you know the uh, uh, the institution of orchestra. You need the mechanism, but at its core, it's shlichus. But you still need to do this like fiction of transferring some sense of ownership, right? You understand the problem, right? The problem is la Valdarmi. 
then you know, it's not power of attorney. He has his own, his own standing. Right. Because the point is that halacha does not really... Look, it's sort of like this question about, you know, intellectual property rights. Right? Halacha doesn't recognize such a thing as ownership over intellectual property. So if you are going to work within a halachic system and try to protect intellectual property, you have to do it through certain types of fictions. Because fundamentally, we don't recognize the institution. So fundamentally, there is no institution called power of attorney. Okay? There's an institution institution called shlichus and there's something called ownership there's no no thing called power of attorney so how do you create power of attorney by doing some type of a mix of the two now we want to make it fundamentally shlichus because we don't want the guy to keep it to himself but we have to add in like a dash of ownership in order to entitle him to have standing right so that's what we're doing like we're creating a new instrument right what yeah something oh like that okay let's look down to the next mission I'm back to Geneva Somebody stole on the testimony of two witnesses, or burgled, I should say, and then he was, and then they witnessed him slaughtering or selling. Okay, so that's the simple case, page four or five. Or, even if it were two different witnesses who saw him doing the selling or the, or the slaughtering. Um, four five. So, Chiddush number one is that it could become from two different sets of witnesses. Let's say he stole it and then sold it on Shabbat did he violate any Doraita at transgression of Shabbat? no okay stealing I mean it's, he violated Doraita okay Soveach we'll get to okay but stealing and selling on Shabbat is not a Doraita violation of Shabbat God of Machal he stole it and he sold it to Avodah fine we can work one out but in the normal case it's not he's selling something to Avodah is not a Doraita violation and certainly not Kimle it doesn't matter. It's not a Doraisa. It's certainly not a Kimla. It's certainly not Chayv Misa. Okay. Gun of the Tavach Yom Kippurim. He stole it and he slaughtered on Yom Kippur, which is a Doraisa violation of Yom Kippur. The issue here is whether it's going to be a Kimla problem. If he does something that he's Chayv Misa for, then he's not going to have to pay. So the biggest Kiddush now is the Yom Kippur case. That was a clear Chayv Kares for slaughtering an animal on Yom Kippur. But since it's not a Chayv Misa, this Mishnah assumes that if it's not a Chayv Misa, you're still going to have to pay. So even though he slaughtered it on Yom Kippur, he's still going to have to pay. God of Mishel Aviv, he stole his father's. The Tavach Machar, and he slaughtered and he sold it. The Achach Mes Aviv, and then afterwards his father died. So big deal, he was Chayv or five before his father died. Now all of these, a later Mishnah is going to give, the, all of these are going to be Chayv or five, but a later Mishnah is going to contrast them to cases that are a little different that you're exempt. So let me just go through, tell you quickly what those different cases are. If you're going to the Tavach the Shabbos, you slaughter it as opposed to sell it on Shabbos, you are Chayav Misa, so then you're exempt from payment. If you are going to the Tavach Lavodazara, you slaughter it Lavodazara, that's an act of worshipping Lavodazara, you're Chayav Misa, you are going to be exempt from payment. If you are stole from your father and the father died before you slaughtered or sold it, not after, then before you slaughtered or sold it, it became yours. You inherited it from your father. So therefore for the slaughtering or the selling, you're selling and slaughtering your own animal. So therefore, you would not be high, right? So all of these, so that you don't have a counterpart. All of these cases have a counterpart which you are exempt from Arba V'chamisha. Okay? So the guy stole from his father, sold and sold, and then the father died. So that's not going to impact his obligation. If he sold and stole and he slaughtered and then he sanctified, in all those cases, you pay four or five. But if he stole it and sanctified it and then slaughtered it, he'd be exempt. Because then he would not be slaughtering 
because the exemption is Michel Re'ehu below Michel Hektish. Okay? So all of these have a counterpart which you're exempt. Gonam the Tabach Lirifu'ah, if he slaughtered it and uh, uh, stole it and slaughtered it, not because, you know, somebody needed some meat for some, uh, for some uh, you know, medical needs, reason. Oliklavim, or for dog food. Or Hashogrevim says Trefa, if it was slaughtered and found to be a Trefa, not kosher. Hashogrevim Bazara, it was slaughtered, non sanctified, and it was slaughtered in the Azara, in the Kemple Torah. Courtyard. So in all those cases, you pay four and five. Rib Shimon exempts the last two cases. Why? Because Rib Shimon's position is that slaughtering a slaughtering that does not make the meat kosher and fit to be eaten is not considered an act of slaughtering. So if it is slaughtered for dog food, you could eat it if you wanted to. You're choosing to give it to your dog. That is considered a shchita. But if you, if you shechted it, but if you shechted it and it was a trefa, okay, then it's not fit for human consumption. If you shechted it chulin bazara, right? But that's everybody agrees to that. That's not even an act of shechita, okay? Shechita, everybody agrees, is an act of shechita. His tradition is even though it's an act of shechita, if it didn't have the effect of making it kosher because the animal was a trefa, it was chulin bazara, then you are not liable. And the rabbis say as long as you did the act of shechita, you still are liable. Okay, so now we're going to start going to pa- unpack this mission a bit by bit, and we're going to start by the beginning of the issue about Adim. Let's take a look. Okay, so our mission says, two Adim say the guy stole, uh, burgled, and two say Tavachum Machar, that they combine to make him pay four and five. So Mark says, Let's hear our mission, not the Rebbe Kiva. Rebbe Kiva says, Adim have to testify on a full thing, not on a half of a thing. What's the case? We're talking to Bryson. When Abba went to Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri to learn Torah, fascinating, who, who was learning Torah from who? Anyway, so one of them said to the other one, Now, the beginning of Baba Basra is a thing called Chazaka, which is, you are on property, that, and you've been working and you know, harvesting and planting and eat, reaping and eating the fruit from the property, the grain, for three years. And then I come and I say, what are you doing on my property? And you say, what are you talking about? It's my property. So you say, oh yeah, show me the bill of sale. So you say, I don't have the bill of sale. Okay, but my evidence that it's mine is that I've been on here for three years and nobody ever complained. It's sort of like the IRS, right? After three years, how many years is it you don't have to hold on to your receipts? Three, five, something? A little longer than that? Okay. (laughs) Fine, whatever. Anyway, after three years and nobody complained that I was here, I don't have a responsibility to hold on to my document. And therefore, your presence for three, uncontested presence for three years is establishes, you know, the, you know, is assumed to be considered evidence that you are the rightful owner of the property. So, how do you bring that evidence? You bring witnesses that saw you on the land and benefiting from it, eating the fruit, eating the produce for three years. So, let's take the following scenario. The first year, two witnesses saw me on the land eating the produce. The second year, two different witnesses saw me. And the third year, another two witnesses saw me. What's the story? Does that work to combine as good evidence? Yeah, that's a chazaka. I say the same thing. Rabbi Akiva disagrees. Rabbi Akiva used to say, By the testimony of two witnesses, a matter will stand. A full matter. Not a half a matter. 
So each two, testimony of two witnesses is not a full testimony that you have a chazaka. And actually, as we're going to see in a minute in the Gemara, it's actually worse than that. If all you had was the two witnesses by themselves, any one of those pairs of witnesses, okay, so it was known beforehand that this was my land. And then there were two witnesses that say that they saw Jonathan on it eating the produce for a year. What would be the consequence of that testimony if you just had the one-year testimony, not all three years combined? You'd be stealing from me. You'd have to pay me back for that year of produce. Okay? So every tech, each cot by itself, actually does, on itself, it's not a partial proof of a chazaka, it's a proof that he's a ganav, until you get all three together. Okay? So, Rabbi Kiva says they don't combine. So Gemara says, so how, how do they combine in our Mishnah? You have witnesses that say stolen, you have witnesses that say the slaughtered. But if you just have the witnesses that say slaughtered or sold, that's not testifying to doing anything wrong. Then maybe I'm slaughtered or selling my own animal. How do they combine? They're not telling, testifying to a full thing. So the Gemara says, Amar Baye, a few tamer Rebbe Akiva. No, no, no. It could work with Rebbe Akiva. Amilo Moda Rebbe Akiva, Bishnaim Omin Kideh, Bishnaim Omin Baal. He says, look, you got to have some limited, you know, uh, limits to Rebbe Akiva. So, you know, let's say Rebbe Akiva says, two, one, one group of witnesses said this woman married Ruvain on January 1st. And another group of witnesses said that she had sex with Shimon on, you know, March 1st of the same year. Okay? So, you could, you could that would be a case of adultery. And she could be executed, uh, you know. But the witnesses that say that she had sex with Shimon, they don't mean anything unless we know that she's already married to Ruvain, right? Witnesses, right? Otherwise, it would, they wouldn't be testifying that she did anything wrong. Maybe she's married to Shimon for all that we know. The, the second cut of witnesses only are meaningful after you've established the testimony of the first cut of witnesses. Okay, the Avagav Deidi Biatzrichim Lady Kedushin, and we say that that obviously would work. Why? Because even though the testimony of her having sex with Shimon is meaningless without the testimony that she married Ruvain. But the testimony that she married Ruvain doesn't need the second testimony. That stands by itself. That's a meaningful testimony by itself. So therefore, Dover Karinambe, it's considered a Davar. So you accept the first cot of witnesses. They testify that she married Ruvain. Once that's established, and that's a full testimony, right? Because that establishes personal status. Once that is established in court, now we can accept the second kind of witnesses, because now based on the context that's already been established, the second pair of, the second kind of witnesses are saying something meaningful. Right? Is that clear the logic of how that works? Yeah, right? At, once you've established certain facts and evidence, then they are testifying to a full davar. And you can establish those facts and evidence because the first kind of witnesses are saying some complete idea. Okay? Everybody got the point? Yes? As opposed to the three years, any one of those groups of witnesses of each year is not testifying to Chazaka. They're testifying to Geneva. Okay? But here, you're actually building a case. And each one, you know, and the first thing is meaningful on itself. Alright? So the Gemara says here too. Hachanami, where are we? Hachanami, here too. Although the witnesses of slaughtering are not saying something meaningful until you've established that there was a Geneva, but since the witnesses of the, of the burglary are saying something full by themselves without needing to testify that there was a slaughtering, it's considered a davar, so you accept the witnesses of the Geneva, you establish, they're saying something, you establish that as 
with facts and evidence, and then you can now have t- testimony about the Tfich and Mechira, and now they are saying a full thing because you've already established certain facts. All right, that was a very nice answer. Okay, now the Gemara says like this, So Rabbi Akiva says you don't even allow, year, you know, separate years. Presumably the rabbis would agree that there's some point where we say it's not a full testimony. What for them would be considered to be a non-full testimony that we wouldn't accept? So, let's say you have witnesses trying to testify whether a girl has reached puberty. You know, she accepted Kiddushin and you wanted to know if the Kiddushin is binding or some question of that nature, okay? So, what that requires is her age and two pubic hairs. So, let's say two witnesses testified that they saw one hair in one place and the other testified they saw one hair in a different place, okay? And now, so, 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 unless you know that there were the both hairs, that there were both hairs, she's 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 not considered an adult. Okay, so could we combine each one? Well, if you accept this and you accept this, now we know she's an adult. No, that would be a chazi dava. Okay, but the gemara starts. Excuse me, I said two witnesses. The gemara starts with one witness. Echad omer echad begavav. Echad omer echad bekreisa. One in her back and one on her like a belly. So the gemara says her front. Hi. So the gemara says one minute. That's not a problem of chazi dava. Hi chazi dava v'chazi edusu. That's half of an edus. Why? Because chazi dava is you have. Two Two witnesses say one thing and two say another and you can't combine them. But the scenario you just described, says, it says the Gemara, is one witness saw one thing and one witness saw a different thing. Everybody with me? Testimony only begins when two witnesses see the same thing. So the Gemara says, fine. Fine, let's get to that case. So, fine. Two saw one hair and two saw another hair. And they don't combine. So, why don't they not combine? Because each one is saying that she's a minor. Okay, each one is basically testifying to the opposite of what you're trying to prove. Now, the question is... Go ahead, Jenna, what do you want to say? The years. Yeah, so the years they say does work. So the question is, why is this different than the years? The Gemara never spells out why is this different than the years. So if you take a look at Tosfos, Tosfos wants to know the same thing. So the Ute Shnaim Omim, look at that Tosfos. He says, the low dummy, the Shonari Shonabisnei Shnaim. Why are they okay with combining the years and not combining the hairs? The Hasam, Ro Komashayu Cholim Lirot Boto Shana. So his first answer is no. There, each one saw everything that could have been seen in that year. Here, he says, what makes it a Chatzidavar is, if you're trying to figure out if this girl is an adult, then you should have done a complete inspection. Right? You only did sort of half. Um, you left the other half to some... Right? So therefore, because you didn't see everything that could have been seen, that makes it a Chatzidavar. That's his answer. And then he gives another answer. Rav Avis Pirish Mishum Dahasam Mahani Sadusayu Inyan Peiroch Achab Shan Rishona Shechayv Lum Shalem In Lo Yim Sayyoter Edim So he says somewhat ironically that the reason the rabbis say the years combine is because the first testimony of the witnesses is accepted in court. Why is it accepted in court? To make Jonathan give me back a year's worth of produce. Okay, now, once you accept all three, you'll reassess it and say he gets to keep the land. <laughs> but each one is, has weight by itself if not to prove Jonathan's case then to prove my case. So therefore because it has weight by itself that's, it is accepted and then in the end you can combine it. Okay? I actually thought that, that a third explanation which I, I think was more, more the, literally what the Gemara is saying is because in this case of the hairs they are each one by itself 
is testifying to the opposite of what we're trying to conclude. Right? We're trying to conclude she's a gedola, and but each one taken by itself says that she's a katana. By the case of Jonathan eating the, 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 the produce, they're not testifying that he stole it. We're assuming it's not his land because we know it had been mined before. All they're saying is they saw him eat it. What does the eating mean? Does it mean that it's his or does it mean that he's stealing? Well, that depends on what the other, on context. Okay? So there, it's sort of, it's more neutral. And therefore, but here, the actual testimony taken by itself is saying the opposite. So that's, I think, another way of saying why that doesn't combine. So there's certain stage where the rabbis would say it doesn't have enough independent standing by itself, but they're more willing to accept partial testimony than Rebbe Akiva. Yes? Uh, they might be, even if they are. Right, because each one only can only be processed individually. Because, you know, you, we can't take you as one unified group. Each one is, has to testify on its own, and that's why, yeah. All right, so that was interesting. That was the part of the mission about the two witnesses and sort of exploring what's a full matter and a half a matter. Now we get to the Shabbos case. If you sold on Shabbos, you are exempt. Um, you are chayv, excuse me, because you did not do violate Shabbos and it was not a chayv misa on a doraisa level. So the Messiah says, but we have a Brisa that says you're exempt for selling it on Shabbos. Amorami Barchama, Kitanya Hid the Potter, when are you Potter? But Omer Lo, a coach to Enami to Enati, the Tigni League Nevotaya. So basically, here I am. Um, I want to buy. We'll use Hillel this time, because we're going around. Oh, we should use Jenna. All right, Jenna, you mind being the Ghanav? Okay, so, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, Jenna stole uh, Michael's iPhone. He's out of here, and I've really been looking for that iPhone. So, I don't care that it's stolen goods. I want to buy it from Jenna. And I say to Jenna, Jenna, but Shabbos. So, okay, this Shabbos, correct, Jenna. But I will buy that, that iPhone from you, um, and, um, and here's what I will pay you for it. Just go ahead, and you can take as, as you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the um, fig off of my fig tree and you can take that as your payment for the iPhone. Okay? And I, I, that's what I say to her. And she goes ahead and she picks those figs on Shabbos. So she violates Shabbos. So in that act, the act of Mechira was an act of Chilul Shabbos. You, you got it? Now, the question that Tosul says is, wait, what's the Kenyan here? Right? What's the act of Kenyan? Like, yes, that's the payment, but normally you need an act of Kenyan. So there's two possibilities. One is that it's a type of a chalipin, okay, like an exchange. Even though kesef doesn't work by chattel, but chalipin, an exchange, a barter does, so that maybe she's taking the fruit and, I'm sw- and that's an exchange and therefore that's the Kenyan. Or, the iPhone is already um, um, in my property, but, you know, but I'm stipulating that I'm not going to, that, that, you know, that the sale isn't final because the stipulation was that the sale will take effect once she collects her payment, once she takes, you know, takes the figs, okay? So, something, but that is the moment when she takes the figs and pay her payment that I actually, that the sale takes place. And that's the case where the sale is a Chilul Shabbos and you don't have to pay four or five. Okay, so the Gemara says like this, Amri, one minute says the Gemara, the Kivan the Chitavale Kaman Bedina, one minute. But if it would come to a court case, okay, we would not say, let's say, you know, that um, uh, that I, you know, that I haven't paid. Um, we would not say that I. One minute. Hold on. Let me just check the last on this for a second. One minute.
Right. So, Rashi says, so let's say that the iPhone is not in my property. It sounds like it's not. Okay? So let's say uh, Jenna there took the uh, figs, and then, I, and, then I, and then Jenna was refusing to give me the iPhone. I tell you, you can't trust anybody these days. Even Ganavim you can't trust. So Jenna was refusing to give me the iPhone. So imagine, could I come to court and say, you know, uh, she sold me that iPhone. Uh, she's refusing to give it to me, um, and I want to get my iPhone back from her. I want to get my, my figs back from her. So we would not process that case. You know why? Even if we didn't realize that it was stolen. You know why we would refuse to process that case? Because it was a transaction that came through the act of Chilul Shabbos. So since it was a transaction that came through the act of Chilul Shabbos, we would not uphold the bindingness of that transaction. What the Gemara seems to be saying is the following. The same way, here's the presumption of the Gemara, which it's going to reject in a few minutes, but it's important to understand what it's saying. The same way Kimle B'Darabavine exempts me from punishment, you know, for my acts. If I'm being Mechal Shabbos, I won't have to pay four or five or whatever. Okay? So, um, so, so if it would also mean that if let's say here make a simple example on Shabbos I signed the document assuming that a signing is a Kenyan I signed the document to obligate me to pay a thousand dollars is that the, is that contract binding okay does Kimlay the same way it would prevent me from liability for like court imposed punishment for things that I did does it also void any contracts that occurred in the process of an act that's high of Misa. So what the Gemara is saying is if Jenna picked those figs in order to create that transaction and that sale on Shabbos, okay, there's no way that anybody would uphold the sale. And if I tried to say, hey, you know, you didn't give me the iPhone, give me the iPhone, we're not going to make her do anything. That happened to Achil Shabbos. Okay? So the Gemara says, Rechivan, if you were to try to like uh, sue the person who you know did this transaction through Chilul Shabbos we wouldn't say oh well you, you know you, you did a sale go ahead and give the iPhone no because you did a thing that's you know deserving of the death penalty so that so the transaction is voided so so the says ah you know if you do shechita on Shabbos the animal is always going to be dead okay but if you try to do a sale if you you give me a scenario where the sale comes with a chil or Shabbos then it wasn't even a sale now it's true by the way it's the same halacha what is the bright to say we're trying to explain the bright that says if you sell it on Shabbos you don't have to pay four or five okay but presumably that means that it was a binding sale and you still don't have to pay four or five what the Gemara is going to say is if you give me a scenario where the sale came with a chil or Shabbos then it wasn't even a sale the sale would not be binding okay so how are you going to get that scenario El Amara Papa so now Rav gives another answer and I have to tell you I don't understand why this is any better than the previous answer but let's go Rav Papa says the he says so I'm going to say to again to Jenna Jenna throw that iPhone be careful but throw it into my yard okay and I will take possession of it as it enters into my yard now what's Jenna doing she is now doing Hotza'ah she's taking it from she's standing in Rosh Hashanah she's throwing it into my yard in Rosh so in that act of, of, of transferring it to me, right, it is now an act of Chilul Shabbos, all right, in that act of sale. So the Gemara says, one minute, come on. 
Who is this going like? When is it, we have to get it, that the Chilu Shabbos occurs at the exact same moment as the Kenyan. Okay, got it? So it crosses the line into my yard. So the Kenyan happens as soon as it crosses the property line. Okay, but one minute. But for Shabbos, you're not Chayiv until the object falls and comes to a rest. Ah, we would be going like Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says that once an object is in the boundary of a private domain, it's contained, kluta, like it's within the mechitzot, it's like it's at rest. And you've already done a chil Shabbos even before it hits the ground. Okay, so the Gemara says, Rabbi Akiva, because it was like the rabbis, as soon as it came into the court, the yard, again, assuming the yard is surrounded by a fence, then I own it for, and the Transaction is done, but leaning Shabbos lo but the chilul Shabbos doesn't occur ara until it hits the ground. And in order to say kimlei, right, the the mechira and the chilul Shabbos have to happen at the same moment because we're trying to get it that she's violating Shabbos and therefore not going to have to pay four or five. So the says, okay, it will be the following scenario if you want it to work like the rabbanon. The Omer lo tikni All right, you could stipulate it. You could say, look, you know. I will own that iPhone not the moment it enters my yard even though I'm entitled but I'll own it the moment it lands on my ground and therefore the Chilu Shabbos and the transaction come at the same time and therefore we would say Kimle now again I don't really get how this answered the previous problem because if Kimle voids the sale why is it a good Mechira right it's the same question unless the point is that in the first scenario the Gemara just had Jenna picking the figs but she was holding on to the iPhone so there Therefore, we're saying the sale is incomplete because I can't demand the iPhone from her. But here, the, the iPhone is in my property. So even though a court wouldn't necessarily uphold it, it doesn't matter. Practically, I'm holding on to it. And therefore, you know, the sale is complete. And therefore, the Gemara says that would be a case where there would be a sale with Chilo Shabbos. And we would say Kimle. Okay, but now Rava has a much better answer. I think. And here's what Rava says. Or a much more interesting answer. Rava Omer, it's also a great graphic description. It's like Rami Barcham said. It could be the case of the figs and the whole thing. Ah, your point that the court would not uphold such a contract and would not make the Jenna give me the iPhone in that case? No. The Torah forbade a gift to a prostitute even if somebody was having sex with his mother. Try to unpack that statement. <laughs> what it means is so great how he packs that. What he's saying is the following. Okay? Somebody, you know, contracts with a prostitute, gives her this sheep as a gift. It can't be as, as a payment. It can't be brought as a korban. Right? Let's say the prostitute that he was contracting with happened to be his mother. Okay? And therefore, it's an act of chayef misa. Okay? It's the same type of thing. That obligation to pay the fee comes when the act of sex takes place. Okay? That moment is Chayav Misa, is a Kimle. And when he went ahead, now Rava seems to be saying, like, I would concede, similar to this case that we had before about the iPhone, the court would not, could not force me to, to pay, you know, the agreed upon price, because I did an act that was Chayav Misa. Okay? But even though it could not force the person to pay the agreed upon price, if the person went ahead and gave it, because it had been agreed upon and there was, you know, the, the obligation was there, so therefore it would still be considered to be an ethnon. It wouldn't be considered a gift. It would be considered to be fee and payment and therefore it would be forbidden on the altar. Which means, to, say, to, to, to reframe it, we are not denying the idea that 
um, that a uh, when somebody doesn't act the Tchayv Nisa, it would void a sale. That we are saying, or, but we're, we're, we're nuancing it. The sale is not totally voided. It's just that the court won't enforce it. But the obligation is still there. Okay? So if I signed a contract to you on Shabbos, the court won't enforce that contract. But Bedine Shemayim, you remember when we did Hakonis, we did Bedine Shemayim, there still is an obligation there, just an obligation the court won't enforce. Okay? So therefore, in the case of the Esnan, the guy is obligated to pay his mother, the prostitute, the fee. Okay? But the court won't enforce it. But because he's obligated, if he does pay her the fee, then it's considered to be a fee and not a gift. And therefore, it's forbidden to the altar. Okay? Similarly, in this case, although the court won't enforce Jenna to give me the iPhone because it came with a of Misa, because the obligation is there, when she chooses to give me the iPhone, it is a real Mechira and it's not a gift. So what it's saying is, how does that intersect with issues like a sale or like a contractual agreement? What it does is, it prevents the court from enforcing it, but it doesn't prevent, it doesn't make the obligation go away. And since the obligation is there, it's just not enforceable, it, if Jenna does give me the iPhone in the end, then that is a Mechira. Okay, because it is being true to that obligation, even though it's not an enforceable obligation. Did you have a question? Well, just, I'm a little confused with the prostitute example, just out of curiosity. Yes? If you're giving the money, I assume, before the act of via, how it's actually well, because the obligation, it's not clear when you're giving it. You might give it after. But either way, the transaction is only, the obligation only only occurs when the act of sex takes place. Right? So that creates the obligation. That's, that's when the service was rendered. Right. Right? And if therefore, because that, because the obligation takes place at the same time as the Chiv Nisa, it's not an obligation that the court will enforce. Whenever the gift was given before or after, the obligation which frames what type of, the meaning of that, was it a gift or was it a fee, is, you know, occurs at that, mo- you know, came to that moment. All right? So let's just finish up this, this Gemara. Yes. You just said so if a contract is made on Shabbos, even though it's not, it's not valid, right? So there are some Rishonim that actually say that a contract, this is mostly a sale. You know, that's an interesting question, although the Esnan is sort of like a fee for services. But uh, there is some discussion in the Rishonim if it's like a contract, maybe that is total, maybe that is even, maybe the court might even enforce that. Okay. But, but the point here is that whatever we're saying, we're saying that the court won't enforce it, but it really does exist. Okay, and let's just finish, read that out in the Gemara. Okay? Um, okay. So if the mother comes and said, hey, I want my fee, we wouldn't make the guy pay the fee because he did, came through an act that he's chayiv misa, uh, which is, by the way, interesting, which makes it sound like a normal person that contracts with a prostitute, we would uphold that, that which is a separate interesting conversation. Uh, even if she demanded it in court, we would not say, you got to pay her. Because, you know, it came through a chi of Misa. If he chose to give it to her, it is a fee for, it is a fee, it's not a gift. Because the obligation is there, Bidei Shemayim. Raji says that explicitly in another Gemara. It's a Yerchayev Bidei Shemayim. Hachanami here too, Avgavdulin Tashlumin, even though if it came for payment, Itava Bidina Kaman Loaminalez Yoshalim. If I said, hey, Jenna isn't giving me my iPhone, make her give me back my money, we wouldn't make her give me give back. 
back the money because it came through a chiv nisa. Since at the end of the day she is giving me the iPhone based on that transaction, it's not a gift, it's a mechira. So the obligation is there. Kingway prevents us from enforcing it, but the obligation actually is there. And it's a really interesting question, right, about how does Kingway operate in an interpersonal type of a transaction. Um, and maybe contracts might even be even more than this, might even be enforceable. And the, the Meiri has an interesting discussion about that. Okay, 